This morning, the message um, that the Lord has put in my heart for us is uh, part of this series of walking in the Spirit that we're um, walking in together since the new year. And we are um, desiring to be uh, people who follow after Jesus, who do what he has intended us to do. And he he has given us his very spirit, his energy, his, his, his life within us to help us to do that. So I have a few questions to begin with. The first one is, you know, when is an Easter egg hunt not just an Easter egg hunt? Or when is a, a meal or a cup of coffee not just refreshment? When is a, a cup of cold water not just a drink, right? When is a conversation not just a conversation? When is going on a walk with a friend not just a walk with a friend? The answer to all these questions is when we're sharing Christ with others. Then those things aren't all that important. What's really important is that Christ is there and Christ is being shared through your words and your actions and your attitude with the people around you. Because we are called to be witnesses, witnesses of Christ, that he's alive, that he's real, that he makes a difference in our lives, that he, that he has given us new life. And this is something that every single follower of Jesus can actually do. There's no process to memorize, there's no school to go to, there's no need to be an expert in theology. There's no pressure of any kind. All you have to do is know Jesus personally, yourself. Know him, love him, serve him, worship him, and then you are equipped, you are able, you have what you need to be a witness for him. Jesus said in, in the book of Matthew, Matthew, Matthew chapter nine, he said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers they're few. So, because of that, right? I know the word so isn't in there, but th- there's a comma. So, because the harvest is plentiful and because the laborers are few, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So he doesn't just say like, you know, so throw up your hands and say, well, you know, the, the harvest, it's, it's so plentiful and the laborers are so few. Oh, I'm so depressed. You know, what am I, you know, there's nothing we can do about it. He says, pray. Pray is always the answer. You know, if you, if you ever get stuck in a situation in life, pray. It's always the answer, right? Because you begin to communicate to God the things that are on your heart, the things that maybe are causing you confusion or anxiety, and God brings the answer. God helps to bring you into a place of peace and a place of wholeness and a place of provision so that you know that you have connected with the God of the universe. Now, he's talking about a harvest. He's not talking about apples or oranges or wheat or, or barley. What's he talking about? Anybody? Souls, people, people who he created to have relationship with, who now are are not in relationship with him, but they're out there and they're ready and they're waiting. There's a harvest in God's world, in this world. So the harvest is all around us, but often we don't see it. We're not recognizing it. I have this picture here. If you want to come up after church, you can look at it. It's one of my favorite pictures. I've owned it for more than 30 years, probably. And it, it, it's a, 
It's a modern day translation of a vision that was given to William Booth. Does anyone know who William Booth is? William Booth lived a long time ago uh, in the 1800s and he started the Salvation Army. One day he was riding in his carriage and he had a vision. He, he called it a vision. Whether he dozed off to sleep or whether he was awake, it doesn't matter. He had a vision. And what he saw was a great rock in the middle of a, a, an ocean and the ocean was all churned up. Uh, it was like a storm. But there was a rock and around the rock was built a platform and on the platform there were some people. But in the water all around the platform, there were some people as well. And the people on the platform, very few of them were aware of the people in the water. Some were. They were throwing a life, a life jacket. They were throwing a rope. They were trying to pull some people up. But others were just busy with their lives. There's a painter on here. She's painting a painting. There's a, there's a weightlifter. He's lifting some weights. You know, they're just, it, they're just on this platform surrounded by a, an ocean where people are drowning and crying out for help, and yet they're just involved in themselves. That's the vision that he had. And it reminded me, and always has reminded me, of this verse. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out more laborers into the harvest so that more people can know Christ. This is what we're here for. So this harvest is all around us. It's our friends. It's our coworkers. It's our family members. God loves them with an everlasting love, and he sent his son to give them life, not to see them perish. He doesn't want anyone to perish, Scripture tells us. So the Holy Spirit has been given to the church and works through the prayers and the witness of the church, of believers like us. Believers like you who have unsaved family members, who have unsaved friends. He has given you His very Spirit. But what happens is we can many times quench the Spirit. The word from scripture, they talk about quenching the spirit, where, where the spirit desires to, 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 to be out there and to use you and to be a witness and to help you to shine brightly in your situation. But because of your timidity or because of your fears or because of your anxiety or because you've been hurt by people before, you quench the spirit. You say, shh, let's not, let's not make a, let's not make a noise. Let's, let's be very quiet. There's another picture. I couldn't find it. It's from my youth as well. It's this little book, little booklet. It's not even a book. It's probably got 50 pages or so. But on the cover of the book is a, is a, is a young man and a young woman. And they have tape, masking tape, actually probably duct tape, across their, across their mouths. And the title of the book is Our Guilty, Our Guilty Silence. And it's a book about witnessing. It's a book about sharing Christ with others. And where often we're given opportunity, it's like there's something over our mouths. I think about these last two years of wearing the mask over our mouths, right? It's, it's, that, it's that visual, this, this picture that's in my mind. It's been in my mind since I was 15 years old, first time I saw that book. I don't want to have a guilty silence. I want us to shout to the Lord, to bring our praises before the Lord. What happened on the day of Pentecost at the very beginning, as the Spirit of God was given to the people, it says that they just began to glorify God, to praise God in their own language, right? In, in, in the different languages that were represented around Jerusalem at that time because people had traveled from all over the world. 
for, for Passover and, and Pentecost. And so in Pentecost, the Spirit of God filled the people up so much that they, over, that they just overflowed with praise to God. They didn't practice. They didn't go to school. They didn't come up with a plan. They worshiped God. And because they worshiped God, people were drawn to them. Because they were making a ruckus. They were making a noise. They were accused of actually being drunk, but they weren't drunk. They were so full of joy and maybe acting a little bit crazy like we do in church sometimes. But they were, they were doing this in the street. As we talked about two weeks ago, they, weren't, they didn't have their own building. They didn't have a, a church or a cathedral or, or something to sort of like enclose themselves and to shh, be quiet and, until they got inside and then they could be loud. They were loud in the street. They were praising God in the street. And they were praising him as, as the, he overflowed in their lives through the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit works through the prayers and the witness of believers. Believers who are obedient to be witnesses. Believers like you and me who have unsaved family and unsaved friends. But we can often stand in the way of the Spirit's work. Quenching the Spirit. We do this by being silent when we're supposed to speak. By being fearful, we're supposed to be bold. We do this sometimes by trying to do something mechanically, trying to do something that in our flesh that we're really supposed to just trust God and do in the spirit as he leads us and guides us. We love to come up with plans. We love to come up with processes. We love to come up with procedures, don't we? Policies. You should see the policy book for the church and the school. We've got policies for everything. You know, it helps us, I know, in some ways to be organized and to do things well. But when it comes to the Spirit of God and when it comes to the gift of the Spirit, the day that which the Spirit was poured out, there was no policy that day. They didn't say like, okay, you know, don't do this, don't do that, make sure you do it this way, don't make sure you do it that way. They obeyed the Spirit of God as he filled them up with his life and they spoke of the glory of God. They praised him in public. They didn't let their flesh get in the way. You see, many of our unsaved friends and family have been turned off by sincere but overly zealous tactics that Christians use on their family, on their friends who are unsaved to try to bring them to Christ. But they're doing it in their own strength. They're not doing it in the strength of the Lord. They come up with their own way to sort of argue you into the kingdom, fight with you until you finally give up, right? And give in and become a Christian. Today, we're going to look at the way in which the Lord brings people to himself. Scripture says it's the kindness of God that brings us to repentance, not the brilliance, the, the sharp mind, the deep theology. Not the, not the regime, you know, the, the way in which it has to be done, the program, the policies, the procedures. It is the kindness of God. Sometimes we are too aggressive. We're too eager. And so we're unwise in our efforts to try to get them saved. We think it has to happen all at once. I'll tell you a little bit about William Booth. William Booth came up with the three S's for his salvation army, for his people he was sending out into the world to try to bring Christ. The three S's, does anyone know what they are? Soup, 
soap and salvation they were hungry and so he said we need to make some soup we need to give them something to eat come on show kindness don't ignore their their physical hunger soap because they needed some right they hadn't had a bath in a while uh, they, they, were, they were living in squalor, as they say. But then salvation. And in that order, soup, soap, and salvation. I love that because it's simple, and we can understand it, and we can apply it in different ways in situations. But, but often we want to start with salvation. And after you've been saved, oh, then I'll give you something to eat because now you're my brother or sister. And now I'll let you use my shower, you know, because you're kind of smelly and yucky. You know, no, 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 no. Let's get it right. Let's remember it's the kindness of God. It's the kindness of God. If you remember, the way in which Jesus treated sinners was so gentle and, and compassionate. He didn't treat the Pharisees the same way. But the sinners, those who needed to know the love of God, he showed his gentle heart. He showed his humility. He loved them. He cared for them. He shared with them. You know, as we think about the book of Corinthians where we, where we just practiced communion together, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we remember the apostle, he's, he's trying to bring correction to the church because the church in Corinth was kind of a mess. They had the spirit, but they were also all over the place. They needed some order and they needed to understand how, how this all works together to bring glory to God. And he talked to them about love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you probably have it memorized. Because every wedding ceremony you go to in a church is, you know, love, love is patient, love is kind. You know, that whole section about love. But if you do not have love, what are you? A clanging symbol, right? I was going to bring some and really annoy you, but I'm annoying enough without that. But, you know, just a smashing gong. It says a smashing gong, a clanging symbol. It's not something pleasant to listen to unless there's love. The gospel is that way as well. Jesus came, God says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent his son. He's not mad at us. He didn't come to punish us. In fact, Jesus took our punishment upon himself. Talk about kindness. And because of that, brought salvation. So while we worship God here this morning, I just want to pause and I want to have you think about your loved ones. Your loved ones who are sitting at home or in their homes who aren't yet worshipers of Jesus. Because I know that in this room there are parents who are sitting here without their children or husbands sitting here without their wives, wives sitting here without their husbands. Many of you who are here in this service will go home to a house that is divided in many ways. Where there's cursing, where there's arguing, where there's some hatred, where there's animosity, where there's bitterness, where there's unforgiveness, where there's substance abuse, where there's anger. All of these things are are part of your everyday life when you live in a house that's divided against itself. I want you to understand God knows 
your situation. God knows your loved ones. God loves them and desires to bring them to himself. Your family members and your close friends, they seem completely turned off to the things of God and you can't figure that out. Now, it's interesting the way the world is, right? We can unite around certain things. We can unite around the patriots or we can unite around certain political candidates. Don't bring up politics. But we can. There's times when that can happen. We can see unity around certain things. Maybe it's uh, our favorite vacation uh, spot. Maybe it's uh, the new baby. You know, maybe, maybe it's uh, you know, the, the, the way in which um, we complain about the price of gas. We're probably really united about that right now, right? You know? Does anyone love that it's as high as it is? No. You know, so we're united in that. You know, we're united around that. But deep down, there's still division in many of our friendships, in many of our homes. Because when we bring up the subject of Jesus, the church, the Bible, all of a sudden, a chill sets in the room, in the conversation. A tension begins to build up. At that point, conversations stop sometimes. Or, or at least they're quickly changing the subject. Sometimes... sometimes That That person person takes a beeline beeline for the door. I want you to know that Jesus, who lives in you, he feels your grief around that because you love your loved ones. You want them to know the love of God and to open up their lives to receive him. Jesus feels your grief, but I believe you're also feeling his grief. You know why I believe that? Because scripture tells us that in Luke 19, verse 41, as Jesus was walking and approaching Jerusalem and he saw the city, he broke down weeping over it. He wept over Jerusalem. When he stood there looking at the city of Jerusalem, he wept over their rejection of God's love, their rejection of his message, their rejection of who he was as he came as a a humble Messiah, not as a conquering king at that point. As he he rode on a donkey, as he he lived among uh, sinners, they rejected him. And so he wept over them. He wept over his people. He wept over their rejection of God's love. And he prayed, Scripture tells us in Hebrews 5, 7, he prayed with loud cries and tears. This is the heart of Jesus towards sinners. He weeps for them. We have this twist, this, this broken sort of record that keeps repeating itself in our culture that, you know, there's this angry God and he sends down lightning bolts on sinners and he, you know, he can't wait to crush them and throw them into hell. You know, all this craziness, but it's not biblical. It's not what Jesus came to show us. Jesus came to show us God's own heart. He is God himself. And he weeps over those who are lost. He's not cold. He's not callous. 
I spoke to a woman a couple of weeks ago after church who was weeping for her lost family member. I remember that. They went in. I'm a compassionate enough person not to forget. I want you to know that Jesus understands your heart because it's his heart you're feeling. He feels that too. So since it's the spirit of Christ that lives in you, you also, as a born-again believer, you can feel his burden for the lost. You can feel it. You don't always feel it. You should feel it. For God laid down his life, his one and only son, for the lost. You and me. You'll know when you are becoming more like Jesus when your heart breaks more and more for the lost. I'm going to say that again. You'll know you're becoming more like Jesus when your heart breaks more for the lost. His desire is to bring them to himself. That passage in, in Luke, it talks about, you know, I want, I want to gather you unto myself like, a, like a, a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings to protect them, to provide for them. As I said two weeks ago, Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. It's his whole purpose in coming and dying, and we're just about to celebrate Easter. We're going to go through the, the Passion Week, it's called. His passion is exposed that he would die for us, that he would die for those who were lost, that he would die for his enemies. This is the kind of God that we serve, and this is the spirit of God that lives within us. Matthew 28 is known as the Great Commission. The great co-mission. So it means it's a mission that, that two people are on together, or at least two. It could be multiples. But in Matthew 28, he's speaking to the disciples. He wants them to understand what it's all about. This is the very end of the gospel of Matthew. So t- Matthew 28, 28 is the last chapter. So all of Jesus' life, his birth, his ministry, his teachings, uh, his miracles, his death, his resurrection, it's, it's all come about. This is after the resurrection. In Matthew 28, verse, eight, verse 16, it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. You, go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. That's how the book ends. That's how the, the history of Jesus here on earth ends right there with him giving this great commission, this, this 
idea that we also can go and reach out and find those who are lost and bring them to Jesus. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, in verse 18, it says that Jesus was speaking and he, and he went into the temple and he went into the synagogue and he opened up the scroll and he read, he said, the spirit of the Lord is now on me. Now this is Jesus saying, the spirit of the Lord is now on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news. Jesus, son of God, anointed by the spirit of God to preach the good news. Same spirit that we receive when we come to Christ, when he comes to live in our hearts, when he fills us with his spirit, we are now anointed to preach the good news, to proclaim freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, release to those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord's favor is now. It's present. It's now. We're not waiting for something. He has come. He has done the work that is necessary. Jesus read that from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 61. But Luke 4, 28 tells us how the people responded to Jesus' message. Do you know the rest of the story? The people that heard him say that, that the Spirit of God was on him to bring the good news, to proclaim sight to the blind, and those who were crippled could walk, and those who, those who were in prison could come out, those who were in darkness could come into the light. They were furious. They got crazy angry. It says that they were so furious, they all got up and they drove him out of the building and out of the town, and they took him to the top of a very high hill in order to throw him off the cliff. But he turned and walked through the crowd and went on his way. Jesus, God, Son of God, perfect Lamb of God, brings a message, I can free those who are imprisoned. I can heal those who are sick. I can bring sight to the blind. I can bring hope to those who are oppressed and those who are depressed. He's bringing good news and they respond like a bunch of crazies. So, if you share Christ with someone on the bus or at the grocery store or in your neighborhood or in your family and they act a little crazy, you're following in the footsteps of Jesus. Don't stop. Jesus didn't stop. He didn't say like, oh, they, oh, oh, Father, they didn't like that very much. I guess... I guess I should tone it down a little bit. I guess I should, you know, maybe keep that to myself. No! That's not what Jesus did. Jesus continued on his mission. This is what we also have to do. What happens is we live in a culture that's not too friendly for Jesus right now, right? And if we're the Jesus people, we come out with the Jesus message, it might not always go well. But guess what? You're in good company. The apostles were also in good company, right? They were thrown into prison. They were flogged. They were, you know, eventually they were executed. But the message of the gospel went out to the whole known world. It continued to expand because of what they did. So the same spirit of our Lord lives within you. And sharing Jesus with others is your purpose. This is why you're still breathing. It's why you still have breath in your lungs to sing that song. It's because you're here to share Jesus with others. 
It's Jesus who told us to go. It's Jesus that lives within us. It's Jesus whose name we lift up. It's not about us. We don't preach ourselves. We preach Christ Jesus. It is he who does the drawing of people to himself. It is his spirit that opens up their eyes or their ears to be able to hear the gospel. That's his department. We are the ones who proclaim it. He's the one who does the work, the mystery work of the spirit within people's hearts. And sometimes they do get mad. But later on, God gets them. Later on, something changes. Something begins to shift. How many of you, the first time you ever heard the gospel, was just like, oh yeah, I'm all in? Some. I, there's a percentage. I don't know what it is. Only God knows these, these things. But there's a percentage where we're like, yes, that's the message I wanted to hear. I'm all in. You can have it all, Jesus. I surrender all. It's all yours. And I'm for sure in this thing and never, never going to backslide, never going to back out. There's a few of you, but many of you, it took some time. It took some processing. It took some, some, some testing, some understanding, some deeper, some deeper things, a work of the Spirit. It took some time. It's like planting a seed. The seed was planted, but it needed to be watered. It needed to be protected. It needed to, to grow until it could produce fruit. So the same spirit that was on Jesus now lives in you. And like I said, sharing Jesus with others is his idea. It's what he wants us to do. It's all about Jesus. Everything in your life is all about Jesus. You sometimes make it about you, and I sometimes make it about me. This is why we have confession. We can say, God, I confess. I made that about me, didn't I? I'm so sorry. I want to make it about you. I want to lift you up. I want my life to reflect you. I want my words to reflect you. I want my attitudes to come from you. I do want to make it all about Jesus. And, and the Holy Spirit is continuing to work in us. Now, this is the 50th year of this particular church being planted here in Holden. In the 1970s, there were a, peop- there were a group of people in the nation There were people who became known as the Jesus people. Some of you were around in the 70s like me, and so you remember the Jesus people. The Jesus people. I would love for us to be the new Jesus people. Not new Jesus, the same Jesus, I'm sorry, but but Jesus people again, right? The Jesus people. Let me read you a little bit. I found an article about the Jesus people. Over 50 years ago, thousands of young lives were delivered by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the gospel of the, of the cross. Thousands, thousands of people came to Christ. It was the kind of thing that in retrospect made sense, but I think nobody could have predicted it. As we look through, back through history, we can see how the Holy Spirit moved amongst chaotic social times. The 60s. Some of you are alive. Some of you just watched the movie, right? More unpredictable is that back through, is that we could see the Jesus people were actually received in a wider lens than, than social media could have provided today. They were everywhere. They were on TV. They were on cover of, of Time Magazine. They were on the news. They, you know, people were talking about the Jesus people. 
They spread even though we didn't have Twitter or Instagram. Their message spread. The secular society was ready for the Jesus people, for the good news of the gospel to be lived out in a loving community of people. A love in action is what characterized the Jesus people. In the Jesus generation, and we keep reading this article, there came about, they believe that it came about because so many young people were disillusioned and disappointed with life. And even with Christianity as a religion. And so young people all through the 60s were pursuing uh, a free life. Everything was a free, spirited lifestyle. Anything goes, right? Whether it was fashion, whether it was, it was behavior, whatever, they wanted to just do whatever they wanted to do. So for the social architects, the 60s in many ways experienced a social revolution. It was marked by the rise of television, radio, drugs, a wave of new styles of music that came in all different forms like psychedelic rock and hard rock and folk rock and protest music. The generation of the 60s rejected traditional values and preferred to live life without any restrictions. Sound familiar? During that time, there was also tremendous protests because of racial injustice. And the civil rights movement was instrumental in pointing our culture to the destructive sin of racism. Political instability increased. There was a Cuban Missile Crisis where we thought the communists were going to bomb us all to smithereens. There was also great disillusionment as things turned violent with assassinations, Vietnam riots and protests. And many people felt that society was falling apart. I know many of us feel like society is falling apart today. I think we're ripe for revival. I think, I think there's so much discord, there's so much brokenness, there's so much confusion, there's so much just disillusionment. Another takeaway is that amidst the global turmoil, because it was global, not just in, in America, and the social distancing between humans and God, a large number of young people were feeling drawn to Christ. Supernaturally. Supernaturally. These young people became actually leaders in the next generation as Christians advanced, as Christianity spread. And in the resurgence of evangelism, of sharing Christ with others. Billy Graham, in his book, The Jesus Generation, because he reflected on this and wrote about it, he wrote this. He was convinced that the Jesus revolution, the Jesus people, was making a profound impact on America. This was the Jesus people's mission. So I'll show you this this slide here. This was their mission. They had three things. I numbered them, but the numbers didn't stick. So first one, have confidence in God's faithfulness. This was like, this is what they said. Okay, if you're going to be a Jesus person, you got to have confidence in God's faithfulness. God is faithful. The world is not falling apart according to somebody else's plan. God's in charge. God is still faithful. Number two, we've got to carry out our missional mandate. We just read it. It's Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations. And number three, invite the Spirit's power 
over our lives to fulfill God's plan in the world. Three simple, beautiful goals or mission statements, whatever, purposes, whatever you want to call it, tied together. And it made a difference in the world back then, right? The Jesus people. Let me show you some of our very own Jesus people. Because some of them are in this room right now. This is the nice man that made the announcement about the cafe and his lovely family. Tom Banyai, Debbie Banyai, and their two boys. They were Jesus people. They still are Jesus people, praise God. Here's another one. Dave, Dave and Chris Messier. Dave plays the bass up here sometimes. I love his vest. I wish he could get it for me. Next one. David. Dave, you haven't aged you haven't aged a bit. You haven't aged a bit. These are the Jesus people who helped Holden Chapel to become Holden Chapel, to, to, to go on this mission here in our region, to share the gospel with those around us. And these are, these are not the only ones, but these are the only ones I could find in a stack of old black and white photos that I found in the church office. It's important for us to understand that God has a purpose for us. He's not just trying to keep us busy until he can return. Sometimes we think we're, we're going to try to keep busy until we can return. Um, Jesus told us that he wants to reach the lost. He came to seek and to save the lost. So as we look at some of the Jesus people who are still with us, there's one thing that we can do on earth that we can know will bring rejoicing in heaven. Scripture tells us this, and that is leading lost people to Christ helping them to find a relationship with Jesus. This brings celebration in heaven. If there's anything we want to do as a response to God's love is to make God happy, right? To bring a celebration around his throne. And that celebration comes when we share Christ with others. You see, Jesus, his desire is to bring glory to God. I know he is God, but there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. They're all together bringing glory to one another. In Luke 15, 7, it says, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need to repent. One. One. There is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Luke 15, 10 says. Luke 15, the, the whole chapter, we don't have time to go through it, but please read it this week. It's about a lost sheep. It's about a lost coin. It's about a lost son. Sons and daughters. And the joy in that chapter, in Luke chapter 15, is that they can all be found, and it brings great joy to the Father. Great joy to the one who is seeking. In one, in one case, it's a woman who lost a coin and she can't find it. And so she sweeps her whole house until she finds it. And then there's great joy when she finds it. 
Jesus is trying to illustrate to us that the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost sons, the lost daughters, they can be found. Don't give up hope. Don't be intimidated. Don't become guilty of silence. We have a good news message. And not everybody wants to hear the good news. Oh, well. They need to hear it anyway. And God may do a miracle and change their hearts and change their minds and bring them to Christ. Look at Saul who became Paul. Saul was an enemy of the cross. Saul was like killing and destroying Christians in the early church. He was turned into one of the greatest, he wrote most of the New Testament, one of the greatest apostles who helped to set up the early church. God used that passion for himself. So let's remember, when, when, when God sees something that lost, that is lost, someone who is lost, he never despairs. He pours out his love in that direction and tries to draw them to himself. We have to change our perspective on the lost. And we have to adopt the same passion that is in us in the spirit, but let it, let it flow up into our minds, let it flow down into our hearts so that we have the right perspective on lost people. Because unfortunately, the Pharisees, spirit of Pharisees, still exist. We like to look down their nose at the lost. We like to say, yuck, ew, let's get away from them. Let's separate ourselves. They're, they're yucky. Jesus was called a friend of sinners. He ate with them. He, he went to banquets with them. A lot of the stories in the Gospels about him being at their house or him walking down the street and wanting to be at their house. You know? so, so he wasn't a Pharisee at all. And this is why the Pharisees didn't like him because they thought, well, true religion is staying pure and staying, you know, staying separate from. And Jesus comes and he's touching lepers and he's, 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 he's hanging out with women and he's, he's, he's doing all this stuff that like is, is breaking their you know, social norms, their, their program, their procedure. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Well, now we know because we have retrospect, Jesus is the way it's supposed to be. His heart is the heart that we're supposed to have. His mind is the mind that we've been given. His actions, his way of dealing with people are available to us through the Holy Spirit. We want to hear rejoicing in heaven. When Jesus saw crowds of people, Matthew 9 says, he was moved with compassion towards them because he saw them as harassed and helpless harassed means like beat up on right they were they were harassed by life matthew 9 36 says they were like sheep but without a shepherd no one to care for them no one to protect them no one to fight off the enemy for them They were sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd are very vulnerable. They got no sharp teeth. They got no claws. They got no way to climb a tree and get away from the wolves. Sheep without a shepherd, we should feel bad for them. They need a shepherd. 
They need a good shepherd. They need a shepherd who will provide for them, a shepherd who will feed them, a shepherd who will lead them away from a cliff and bring them to a a green pasture. They need that kind of care. And when Jesus saw a crowd of people, he didn't say, oh, yuck. He said, oh, God, they're helpless without our help. They need us. They need our protection. They need our provision. They need our love. And they don't have it unless we bring it to them. So that heart, as we approach the lost, as we try to think about the people around us, I know they're annoying sometimes, but so are you. And so am I. Right? But when Jesus looks at those who have no shepherd, he feels compassion. So no matter how tough or immune some people are, how tough they seem on the outside, on the inside, see, he sees past the outside. On the inside, he sees their need. He sees that they are hurting. He sees that they are broken. And we have to look at people in the same way, even if they act tough and mean on the outside. We can't look at them from a worldly perspective. If we are truly Christians, if we are truly filled with the Spirit of God and He resides within us, as we look out into the world around us, our perspective needs to shift and we need to see as He sees. Then we need to act as He would act. We need to speak what He would speak. And I know that's easy to say and harder to do, but by the power of the Spirit, it can be done. Otherwise, Christ would have never created the church because it can't do what it's supposed to do, which is make disciples and to reach out to the lost and the hurting to bring them to himself. So we are able to do it. Don't believe a lie. Don't believe that somehow you're not able. Somehow you're disqualified. Somehow you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not strong enough. Don't believe any of those things. It isn't about you anyways. Remember the slide. It's all about Jesus. And if Jesus lives within you... And he wants to get out and he wants to show compassion to the lost and he wants to reach them with his love. He'll do it. Even with the worst of you. He can do it. Because it's about him and letting him reach. So as we approach the lost, we have to always approach the lost from the heart of Jesus. Otherwise we come across wrong. We come across as judgmental we come across as know-it-alls we come across as 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 mean spirited that's not jesus that's never jesus so when jesus said to the disciples look the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few ask the lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. He's still saying that, church. He's still saying that. The job's not done. In fact, it's bigger. There's more billions of people on the earth now than when Jesus said it. There's a bigger harvest to be had. Amen? And before he returns, there will be a harvest. There will be a great revival on the earth. So we're either on the precipice of it or we're going to practice for it. 
and we'll leave the message for the next generation and maybe they'll be the ones but, but somehow God is going to reach every nation, every people group every tribe, every language he's going to reach them all with the gospel of Jesus Christ we are a small, small part of it but we're a big part of it for that one or for those two or for that household or for that person at work we have to see ourselves through God's eyes and understand the mission that we're on for compassion moves us to harvest. And this is the Jesus pattern. There's, there's a compassion that needs to be building up inside of us, which will lead to harvest. Because that's what happened in Christ. His compassion brought him to earth to die for us. So if you don't have compassion, keep your mouth shut. I'm serious. It's not Jesus. Something else is, you know, screwy still. Pray, get on your face, ask God to give you his heart, but don't talk. There's enough meanness in the world, amen? There's enough nasty Facebook remarks. There's enough, there's enough YouTube and Instagram. There's enough of that. What the world needs is the compassion of Christ flowing out into the world through his people. Through his people. Opening their mouths, not staying silent, opening their mouths, but with compassion, with care, with love, with concern, understanding that without Jesus, they are lost and that they need him desperately. I don't know the condition of your heart here this morning and I don't presume to judge you or anyone else but I do recommend that you ask God to search your heart with me to reveal with us the things that need to change the things that we need to realign to get right again and then ask God to change us by the power of his spirit so that we can give Jesus to all those around us who desire it. He's a gift. He's a good gift. That desire comes from the heart of God. All we have to do is to ask sincerely for the desire. The Apostle John assured us, if you ask for anything according to my will, God hears your prayer and will answer it. He answers our prayers. The desire to share Jesus with others is unquestionably, unquestionably the will of God. We don't have to debate that. The desire to share Jesus with others is unquestionably the will of God. Let that sink in. So as you pray for the will of God, you say, God, help me. Help me fulfill your will in my life and share you with those around me who are harassed, who are helpless, who are sheep without a shepherd. The desire to share Jesus with others is the will of God for us. It's why the church exists. So I pray that you will ask Jesus to share his heart of compassion, his love for the lost with you, 
That he would purify our hearts from any kind of self-righteousness, any kind of Pharisee spirit, and help us to feel like he feels about those people. God, help me to see people the way you see people. And as God fills our hearts with his love and compassion for the lost, he will begin to move us into the world to share Jesus more and more effectively. Do you remember when Jesus was picking out his disciples, he went to the disciples sort of one by one or two by two. In, in Matthew four nineteen. he says, you know, come, come follow me because I'm going to show you how to fish for people, how to be fishers of men. That's why he called you. That's why he called me. That's why he calls any disciple. I want to show you how to fish. And the greatest fisherman of all, he proved it when he filled up the nets so big that the boat was sinking because there were so many fish they couldn't pull them all in. I mean, the greatest fisherman of all wants to teach you how to fish. He's given you his spirit of fishing for men, for women, for people. And he wants to teach you how to do it by the power of his spirit, by just living filled with his spirit day by day, opening your mouth as he leads you, keeping your mouth quiet when he tells you, learning to listen to his voice as good sheep do. They listen to their shepherd. This is what's going to make a difference in Holden, in Worcester, in Worcester County, and wherever you come from. When we get on our face before God and ask him to give us this heart to purify the things that don't belong and to give us the heart to follow him. Would you stand together and let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that you have given us your very spirit to guide us and help us. We admit there are times when we don't look for that guidance. We haven't asked for it. So God, we want to ask that you would give us your heart, that you would make us fishermen, disciples who are able to reach out to the lost and the lonely and the hurting around us and bring them to their Savior, bring them to their shepherd. Fill us with your spirit again and again and again so we may fulfill your will, your purposes on the earth today. We ask this in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus.